Hello from Houston, and welcome to the Highlights Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. Our goal is to learn, lead, network, and serve. And welcome back to the Highlights Podcast. My name is Femi, and I'm a transactional attorney here in Houston. And my name is Patrick. I'm an arbitration lawyer also here in Houston. So joining us today is the Honorable Jennifer Walker Elrod, who is a circuit judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Thank you so much for joining us today, Judge Elrod. Hi, Femi and Patrick. It's really wonderful to be here with you today. I'm really excited about the HILA podcast series, and I think it's a terrific idea that y'all have come up with. And so it's fun to be one of the people on it. Well, thank you for so much. Um, and thank you for your support of it both in spirit and also in being here um, for this episode. So for a little bit of background for our, our listeners, um, you are originally from Port Arthur, Texas, but you grew up in Baytown, um, but all around Texas and relatively close to Houston. Um, Judge Elrod also graduated from Baylor University with a degree in economics, uh, and she received her JD from Harvard Law School and finished there in 1992 after which she clerked for two years, and she completed her clerkship with Judge Sim Lake of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District. Uh, and I believe he's actually, he's still a judge there, I believe, yes, on yes. senior status. Um, and so after that, after that clerkship, you practiced at Baker Botts for about eight years. You know, I have lived in other places uh, besides the Houston area. <laughs> so I have lived in, um, I guess I, I've lived in Northern California briefly. I tried that out because my husband is, is from Palo Alto, Mountain View area. Nice. Um, and so we thought maybe we might want to live there. But the housing is really expensive, as you know. Uh-huh. But it's a he's, he's in technology. Um, and so that's a great place. But uh, we, we're, we love Texas. Um, yeah. We also, I lived in uh, Southern California. I lived in Colorado in high school. And I love to go to Colorado every summer now. We go to Estes Park and we also do other oh, national okay. park tours. And so, um, and I guess I've done the, the normal internship in Washington, D.C. for the summer coming up, so, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, you know, living three years in Boston. So, but yeah. I, I do, I am a Texan and I'm glad to be back in Texas. Yeah. Well, in addition to working at Baker Bonds, you, you also were appointed to the court by Governor Rick Perry to the 190th District Court in Harris County. And that kind of started your path on in this judiciary role. Um, After a few years there, you were nominated and confirmed to the Fifth Circuit. Um, And so these times where you you mentioned, you mentioned almost living in California for a few years. Was that during your legal career or before? um, I did that um, when I was a summer associate. And then we would I've spent a fair amount of time going back, but no, I've always practiced uh, in Texas. Okay, I and see. So, um, but I, and I was, I was glad about it. I guess, I think probably subconsciously, I did want to come back to Texas. Yeah. And so I, I tricked my husband. I said, <laughs> come for two years while I do this clerkship with Judge Sim Lake. As you mentioned, he's still in the building and he's a fabulous mentor. 
And I'm so yeah. glad um, to have gotten to work with him. And I said, we'll go anywhere you want in the country um, uh, <laughs> after. after I do this two-year internship. <laughs> and, but then, you know, we, I showed him the houses and the newspaper on Sundays. I guess that's yeah. Zillow and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and that was, and so we thought this would be a good place to, to settle and raise a family. And, and we've been very pleased about that. You know, you mentioned that I, uh, I was appointed by Governor Perry, but you know, that was, uh, and I'm very thankful for that. And that did start me off and I've been a judge, I guess, one of my daughters almost her whole life since she was two, I've been a judge and not, yeah. not know me as anything other than, you know, a, a judge mom. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I wasn't just, um, it wasn't just one of those ones where I'm just working in my office one day and the governor says, oh, I'm going to appoint you. Yeah. I actually had to run. I right. ran for a vacant bench. Okay. Um, and then um, the governor appointed me the day after I won the primary. And so I um... thought when I was signing up, this is how naive I was and Back in the time, I thought when I was signing up that I was the only, <laughs> I was the only one on the ballot and that I didn't, I didn't know that anyone was going to be running in the spot and I hadn't heard that, it, you know, and so, but someone signed up on the last day to run for the spot in the primary. So, um, so I had an opponent. And so that was <laughs> really, um, it was a risky thing to do at that stage in my career. I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm going to try to get a gubernatorial appointment, but it's quite another thing to be an associate at a, at a big law firm like y'all are at right now and yeah. say, oh, I'm going to run for public office. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you have to say, how, what would be the dynamic if you walked in the next day and said that you were going to do that? But <laughs> fortunately, everybody was very, very supportive. You know, when it came down to it, um, you know, partners helped put yard signs up and passed out my materials oh. at precincts and, you know, at the polling place, I mean, the voting places. And so, um, and I had a lot of good friends who helped me and I did in fact win, but it was a risk. Yeah. It was a big risk. Um, and that was, um, I would say that that's a life lesson that sometimes I, when I, people ask me about things that are important, I think that you need to be willing to take risks and yeah. not just live a cookie cutter life that you think, oh, well, the next thing you're supposed to do is this and the next thing. Right. And I think that's really, um, it's hard because once you go to school, especially if you've been really successful in school, you think, well, this is the next thing and this is the next thing and I have to do this and everyone does that. But sometimes at some point, your life is not an assembly line and it's your life. Um, so I encourage people to take risk. And I mean, it doesn't mean everybody needs to skydive, but, uh, but, you know, to figure out what it is that you see for your career and, and, yeah. and yeah. take your own responsibility for that rather than doing what the crowd does. So. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. You know, we, we were speaking to somebody about having a growth mindset and, and being open to, you know, challenges and, and sometimes you're going to mess up and, and, but the benefit of messing up is that, eventually like you'll learn from your mistakes and you'll be a better person. Um, and you have to do that in your career every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was not appointed to the first bench I applied to. I had to 
you know, if I had been, then I wouldn't have had to run, you know, <laughs> and, and then, but, um, and so that was a defeat, but someone said to me, why are you letting, letting other people control whether or not you do this? If you want to do this, you should take responsibility and go for it. And so I did. And, and that actually was very helpful in later getting appointed to the federal bench also, because all the people that I met in the process and, you know, were very helpful. It turned out I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking of that. That wasn't, it wasn't some ambition that I secretly had. In fact, it was yeah. a complete surprise, frankly. Um, but it, um, it enabled me to get out there and meet people and learn how to, you know, learned how to get to know people and that they developed confidence in me and my abilities. Yeah. So that was helpful. And that was a surprise. I have to say, um, I was speaking at an event uh, in Austin. I was the token trial judge on the appellate lawyer's <laughs> speech. Trial <laughs> bench, what would you have to say to us? So I'm, I'm there as the, with all these appellate lawyers. And yeah. one of them came up to me afterwards and said, have you ever thought about being on the Fifth Circuit? Mm. And you know what I said back? Um, yeah, and I've thought about being on American Idol too. I mean, so, that's what I was going to say. Everyone's thought about being yeah. on the Fifth Circuit. Right. So it was not a, um, you yeah. know, it was kind of a crazy thing. And I hadn't really, I, I wasn't an appellate lawyer. I was a trial lawyer. I had handled, you know, a couple matters here and there and worked on things. So I wasn't completely inexperienced in that, but it was not my wheelhouse. Um, so I was, you know, and I thought that's that's just ridiculous. I'm not going to be on the Fifth Circuit. But then, um, lo and behold, someone contacted me from the White House Counsel's Office and said, "Are you interested in this?" and um, and that kind of began the process. So, and I'm very how, thankful. How I have did to you? Say, Go ahead, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I was just going to ask, like, how do you, what do you do after a call like that? Like, do you just move about your day or do you like cancel plans, celebrate? Like, how did no, you, you got to move about your day because that's <laughs> just be too in your head. Uh, yeah. You know, and then I, I did worry a little bit because the person said, um, are you interested in being considered for a, a you know, a federal appellate bench? And I said, um, you know, Yes, I would be, um, you know, very interested in serving my country just as I serve the state of Texas today or something, you know, some yeah. appropriate answer that I thought it was an appropriate answer. And they said, OK, thanks. Bye. You know, <laughs> and so basically I was thought, like, I wonder if I botched that, you know, I don't know. And when and then, and then they contact me again about setting up times or whatever. Right. But I right. think that they that's maybe part of the process is they gauge your interest because they're not going to invite you if you're not interested and and that makes sense they don't want to waste their time but um it is um you know it is kind of surprising uh uh, to to have been thought of in that way and i have to say from the nominee's point i mean i have been i have run in a contested election i have run unopposed with no opponents and i have been appointed for life for good for behavior. And I want to say from the judge's perspective, it's best to be appointed for life for good behavior. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I'll behave myself. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's important, you know, these people talk about whether they want to have 
appointed or elected judges and how we do that. And I know that's been in our, you know, talking about that in the past for, for, for some length of time. Yeah. It's really, a, there's pros and cons of all of it. You know, you want judges who are independent and you want judges who are accountable. Who, sure. So it's how do you best do yeah. that? Judge, one thing I wanted to go back to is just how you, you mentioned, you know, you, you're an established trial attorney. Um, and now, you know, you, you've been in the appellate sphere for well over 13 years. Um, so obviously, you know, you, you have to be a litigator, but how important is it to have that appellate background? Um, and, and, you know, how, how did you manage the, the shift from being a trial judge to an appellate judge? Well, I had, you know, good mentors. I watched what my good colleagues were doing and, and, and you know, did my homework, studied. Um, you know, some of my colleagues let me come and watch them do an argument and then have a conference afterwards. You know, I, once I got on the court, you know, so it was a good to see how do you, how do you actually do it? And, um, you know, and I was, it was always been important to me to try to be a good writer and so, you know, basically we write a lot. Yeah. And so that's, that's what we do. And I, you know, and I got some of my um, more senior colleagues, I asked them, I said, will you critique my work? Will you, um, for, you know, for good readability yeah. and writing? And, and I got some pretty heavy red pens, you know, oh. and, you know, they weren't trying to influence my decisions or anything, but yeah. they were actually just critiquing my writing, you know, as a new judge. Um, and um, that was very helpful to me. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm the best writer on the court by any means. There's, we have some really fabulous writers. Judge Costa is a fabulous writer. Judge Willett's a fabulous writer. Um, Judge Weiner is a fabulous, we have so many. I don't, but just yeah. because I can name them doesn't mean they're not also fabulous writers. <laughs> but we have a number of really <laughs> fabulous writers, but I'm just thankful that I, you know, can clearly convey what the case is about and that's that's yeah. my job um so it's um so yeah I, I studied and i worked and i listened um and i you know i took criticism i think you need to be able to you know come in humbly to a new job and say i don't really know how to do all of this and i want to learn everything i can and so help and people are very gracious and they want people want you to succeed people uh, in general. And so I think that they will help you in yeah. whatever it is, whatever your new job is. And certainly I found that to be the case. And, um, you know, this, it is different being an appellate judge compared to being a trial judge. Um, you know, just the basics, you yeah. have to count to three. You can't, <laughs> um, you know, as a trial judge, you just need to try to get what you think is the right answer. But, um, as an appellate judge, you need to actually count to two, uh, at least. Yeah. You have to count to two, uh, but it's better to count to three if you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so um, you have to be able to explain why you think that's the right answer to, to people who are very smart and who do this all day. And so um, that's, a, that's an additional, so once you figured out what you think is the right answer, you're not even, you're, you're not there yet by yeah. any um, so that's a that's a challenge, you know. Uh, the trial judge, you're making a lot of decisions quickly. We're making 
uh, fewer decisions, um, perhaps more contemplatively, but it's still kind of, um, you know, they used to say as a trial judge, you rule and run, you, you, you go and you move and you move forward. And if you, you need to reconsider, you should reconsider, you know, you shouldn't say, oh, I've said that and I'm done and I'm not going to rethink it. But you don't, you can't agonize and think about what happened yesterday. You got to be ruling on today's things if you're a trial judge. Um, and so that's, that's a little bit different as an appellate judge, because there is that yeah. noodling and, and but, um, but of course, trial judges think and, and, and really contemplate as well. And, and appellate judges, at least in our circuit, we're one of the busiest circuits in America. We, we go fast. We issue a lot of opinions. So it's yeah. not, you know, it's not completely 100% one's slow and one's fast. Well, so the other part of that transition you did was going from a state court to a federal court. Is there any significance to that distinction outside of just moving from trial to appellate? Is there anything in terms of learning what the the forum was like? Well, I mean, they have different rules in the different forums, and you got to learn the rules of the road, whatever forum you're in. Uh, you know, it's interesting uh, that we have three in three states in our circuit. So um, in Louisiana, you know, comes from the Napoleonic code and that system and their common law, you know, yeah. it's not common law, it's that code, the code system. And Mississippi comes from a more traditional common law. And Texas, given its, um, diff its Spanish roots and other things, I, I'm involved in a program called Teach Texas. And we talk about how Texas law developed and um, Texas is a little bit of a hybrid in the way the law developed in Texas. And so it's, we've got different you know, systems in each state that we, when we apply our, our eerie doctorate and all of that. So it's, you know, it's a, but it works, um, you know, there, but, you, but I would say anyone going to any court just needs to find out what the rules of the road. And, and if it is a practical matter, you should go and watch that court. Uh, I know pandemic makes things a little difficult, but it actually opens things up too, because you can watch a lot of proceedings online uh, and you can watch proceedings online across the country and, and lots of places. And I was talking to some young lawyers the other day and they were saying that they actually have been watching a lot of proceedings and, and they didn't usually have that luxury uh, just because it's all yeah. there. And so yeah. there can be a, there's a pro as well as the con, so. Yeah, part of me wonders, I mean, that must be especially interesting for law students who would otherwise have to make the trek down to a, a courthouse that they would be out of their way, but to be able to just jump, open a tab and jump into a Zoom room for a court at any level on state or federal um, must be interesting. You know, one big difference um, between being a, when I was a state judge versus being a federal judge is I have four really excellent law clerks to help me. And whereas when I was a state judge, I had really good interns who would come in and out, but they, you know, they were volunteers. Um, and I have interns here too, and I'm very thankful for them. In fact, I encourage people to be interns at some point if they think that they might want to be in the court experience. Um, but having four really great lawyers working with you every day uh, yeah. makes my job so much easier. So, yeah. Well, so 
let's, I guess, talk a little bit about that in terms of having clerks. You yourself were a clerk, as we talked about, for Judge Simlake. What, what was that experience like, and how has it informed your, your career? Well, it was a really important experience for me. I didn't know lawyers growing up. You know, I didn't know that I wanted to be a lawyer. My, my grandmother had taken me uh, with her to jury duty in Anahuac, Texas. And so, and she said, I think you might like this. This seems like it's up your alley. Come with me when I have jury duty. And I went and I just got so into it. Um, and then I started watching legal television shows, you know, I'm really old. So I would watch, you know, Matlock and stuff. And, uh, and I would just really enjoy us legal. You television. watch Night Court? Yes. Yes. yes <laughs> I watch all these That's TV a fun shows. One. Yes. And so, um, and that, um, so I thought, you know, I might want to do this, be a lawyer. Um, and that's, and I had written a paper when I was young. It said that I thought I might, this is crazy. I wanted to, I said, maybe I could be the first woman Supreme Court justice. I'm so glad we've, we've been there, done that many times over now. And we've been, yeah. uh, and I'm very blessed that I have gotten to meet um, all of our, our female jurists. And I've got to meet Justice O'Connor and and uh, Justice Ginsburg and Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan. And I, I got to judge the Harvard Moot Court with the Justice Sotomayor. And that was a really neat experience. And wow. so, um, and I and I also have met, I guess, Justice Barrett also. <laughs> That's I, And if I'm, am I leaving somebody out? You know, sometimes when you start naming people, you leave somebody <laughs> out, you don't mean to. Um, but um, it's, a uh, you know, I was not sophisticated and didn't know about the law, but Judge Lake took me under his wing and he, you know, he mentored me and what it was to be, I was helping him, you know, doing my normal law clerk writing and getting critiqued and studying and sitting in court and watching him and writing things and doing, you know, looking up cases, but he was mentoring me, just pouring things into me, teaching me how to be a trial lawyer in Texas. Um, and so I was very blessed and I'm very blessed to have him model what it was to be professional and collegial and how to do it right. So uh, I, I owe him, you know, a great debt that he, and I'm so thankful that he invested into my life and I try to pour it back. That's, you know, it's a great, you know, it's a great honor and it's my duty to try to apply the rule of law in the cases before me. But it's a great privilege to get to mentor the next generation of lawyers yeah. in a real intense environment with the, you know, all the cases that we have. And so I'm, I'm grateful. You know, I've had uh, your, your current leader in the HYLA, Christina Zuniga. Um, she was just a fabulous law clerk, and I've had so many law clerks that have been in HYLA and otherwise. And um, I'm, I'm very thankful. You know, I, in fact, I have a I have a bobblehead of Christina. This doesn't really look much like. Uh, 
Oh, we did, we did, they did. They, they gave me these bobbleheads one year. Whoa. I collect bobbleheads, and this was her wow. bobblehead. Oh, hey, Christina, how are you? Hey, this is going to be like a talk hey, show. Judge. We have a special and Christina was here the whole time. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the whole time. Clapping. Um, no, she wasn't here the whole time. But I didn't uh, know you were here. Uh, I, I, wow, I'm so glad to see you. I do not glad think your bobblehead looks very much like you. I think you're. Uh, it doesn't do you justice, but um, but I'm glad to have it because it reminds me of you. So that's kind. I'm not doing the middle part anymore, though. I hear that's what the young kids are doing these days. So maybe I should go back to it. <laughs> you know, um, I've been yes. trying the bangs this year. I, I, you know, with the COVID bangs, I've got going, and I'm not sure. I, you know, I they get messy, and I'm trying to think if I should abandon them or not. But um, mm. But I'm I'm sticking with them at least till May, so that's my commitment to bangs. So, nice. And I don't do middle part anymore. I'm too old for middle part. But <laughs> that I'm not make no comments on anybody else's choice in that area. <laughs> um, so it's so good to see you, and thanks for your leadership in the HYLA. And uh, you know, Femi and Patrick have this good thing going with all of their podcasts. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> just, just, just hard work and dedication, just like yeah. you did. That's it. I'm very, I'm very grateful that they've pursued this highlights endeavor, and yes, they've done an amazing job. And I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad they invited me to join this conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you actually came at a good point. We wanted to talk about the the judge clerk relationship, um, and so you know, we just asked Judge Elrod how how her relationship was with her judge. So why don't you give us, uh, you know, some insight as to your relationship with Judge Elrod? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm very grateful for Judge Elrod. We, lucky for me, have a fantastic relationship. And um, I'm just grateful that she gave me the opportunity to clerk for her. It was huh. a long time ago now. I was in law school when I first met Judge Elrod. I think, Judge, that we actually first met when you came to Stanford's campus with your daughter, Elizabeth, you were touring the campus and you were speaking with the Federalist Society at Stanford. Um, and that's when I first met you and I was blown away by you, your remarks during your conversation with us. And just what's evident when you meet Judge Elrod, her professionalism, she's so kind and courteous. And I thought this could be a great mentor for me and I'd, I'd really like the opportunity to work for her. So I applied to clerk for judge. And again, I'm so happy that she gave me the chance to be one of her just four clerks in her chambers. She yeah. has a hard decision to make every year picking clerks. And so um, I'm very happy that she gave me that opportunity. And then it was a fantastic year. We uh, worked a lot. She, she runs a tight ship. Uh, she has a lot of work to do. So we worked a lot, but we also had a lot of fun. D Judge um, was kind enough to bring clerks with her to New Orleans when she sat in New Orleans and we had some good times there, going to her favorite restaurant, Irene's, um, and just you know enjoying all that New Orleans has to offer. And in Houston too, I worked with Judge on the end of court that she spends a lot of time working on. Uh, and I was part of a pirate show with her. We could talk about that <laughs> if you guys would like. And then I'm lucky enough that I'm, I practice here in Houston and her chambers right. are in Houston. Right. Yeah. So we've been able to continue that relationship. And Judge does a great job of keeping in touch with her clerks near and far. But uh, I have the fortunate position that I can yeah. just walk down the street. My office is in the yeah. Wells Fargo building a few blocks away from the federal courthouse. So every now and then I'll pop in and say hi and um, I get to 
meet her current clerks. And actually, I was just emailing with your current clerks, Judge. We're trying to set up a little hangout. So just, again, another perk of being in the same city as her. <laughs> well, the blessing is mine. So I was, it was, I was very lucky to, to our, or, or whether it was providential or luck, I leave that to someone else to decide. But I was so pleased that whenever I showed up on the Stanford campus, that you were my person. Um, and, you know, Christina made it, made me so feel so welcome. And she was also so kind to my daughter. Um, and I knew at that point that I wanted the opportunity to work with Christina. And I think we had to wait a little while. The, the timing was just not the best with at the, but it all worked out. I, I think the, um, the, the way it worked out was the way it was supposed to work out. And I, I got the benefit of her incredible organizational skills and her, you know, her, her writing, which is so clear. And she's just, she is so kind and it's fun and fun to be around. And she's gotten me involved with y'all in Hyla mm -hmm. again. Yeah. So it's come back around that I'm back doing things with Hyla. And so I've been very thankful to you, Christina. And I have to say that uh, getting to participate, if, if I hope this is okay that I mention it, but getting to participate in your wedding was one of the best experiences in my life. So I'm just so thankful for that day and just to have been a part of something so special. So thank you, Judge. It was a very special day for me too. I mean, but that really does speak to the significance of the uh, like the judge clerk relationships and kind of the the effect it has on your personal and professional life um but i mean that that's an incredible anecdote almost and that's perfectly sums it up in many ways so so judge judge elrod um you know one thing that i've heard in my practice and i i think this term might just be for transactional attorneys but we're always thinking about how to add value to to the transactions that we're on and i feel that that concept is, you know, everywhere in, in the legal field. And I'm sure you're looking for clerks that will add value to, to the cases that are before your court. And so what are the sort of things that you look for in a clerk when, when you're trying to pick them? Well, you know, um, I, you know, I look for the same thing a lot of judges look for just um, on the, the first go around. I look for people who have excelled in law school um that's that's important uh because we there's not a lot of ways to when you get 700 applicants or whatever for four spots how do you pick um right. and so that's it so so grades uh, are very are important and you can say well they shouldn't be or whatever but it's 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 somewhat of an objective even if it's not a totally objective variable that you can try to help. And then I also look at um, whether or not you've done some journal work because we do some really ticky tack editing. And so I need people who know how to do that, who know are really good blue bookers. I know that sounds like boring, but, but it adds value if yeah, you know how to blue book definitely. well when you come into chambers. Yeah. You, if, we, if I have to teach you and get the other clerk to teach you and how to do that, then that you know, it doesn't mean you can't learn it, but it's it's better if you learned it in law school and you were comfortable in that because editing to make sure the work is as perfect as possible is part of the job. Yeah. Um, 
I also look for some other factor that shows that you've demonstrated uh, grit or resilience in life. Maybe you've done something hard as a young age. Um, you know the the you know the gold award and the Eagle Scout and all of that can sometimes do it. Teach for America. There's just a. I don't want to say that you need to do certain particular yeah. brands of things, but just activities where you've put yourself out there for others and demonstrated maturity and grit. I think that to me because we're gonna have a. Christina's right. It's a. It's a. It's a hard year, because of the tremendous number of opinions and issues that we have to deal with. Um, so I, I need people that are going to have the staying power and going to really invest in that. And I also want to, the people I want to mentor are people that I uh, have that. I think that's a really difficult thing right now. I think grit and resilience, um, these are these are tough things for, for some people. And I just, and, and I think that it's important. I, I actually think those are more important even in some ways than, uh, past success uh the uh, it's not your your mental aptitude that's going to define it's whether you have grit more so than being the smartest or the fastest um and i think that's um so i i want to i want to get people who already are into that and i want to foster that so yeah so those are some ways you add value you add value by being organized we we're managing a lot of cases and so you need to be able to um, be organized yourself with your own work, but also help me organize my work. Um, and you um, add value by anticipating what, what do you think that they're gonna need to do their job with this type of thing. Now I could certainly give assignments, you know, you're gonna write this bench memo, but, um, and they do, and that's good. But if you can anticipate what I might need for the oral argument, that's a really a, a good win, and that's adding extra value. Anyway, so yeah, it's uh, you know it's a day-to-day -day job in a court, yeah. so it's not glamorous, but but it's fun. You know, Christina mentioned that she worked with our Inza Court show. I a number of my law clerks participate in our Inza Court shows, and, and we've been pirates and we've been superheroes. Christina is a fabulous choreographer in addition to all of <laughs> the other abilities. Do you know that about her? I, I didn't. No, Wait, this I is like, like actual choreography? Like dancing yes, background? For our, for our show, <laughs> yes. And our, you know, we do this, you know, our, our, these are CLE presentations, but we are actually doing usually stage shows, although this year we did a Zoom film. I mean, this is my favorite part of the conversation because I did Assault and Flattery at UT, which is their musical production that they do every year. It's not CLE credit worthy, but... Uh... <laughs> Nowhere near that. It, 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 it's all BYOB. Uh... <laughs> we did it in law school too. And it's... Um, so you should come be in our inn or if you or, or some inn. If I, you... I, I, I've thought about it and I would like to. Um, I would have done it this year, but I don't know with everything going on and the work doing things remotely. But one of these years, I definitely will uh, get involved in that. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's much easier from my perspective to direct the stage show than it is to direct a, a film. 
I had, mm-hmm. thank God we had Judge Chris Bryan and Judge Charles Eskridge and, and attorney Jim Cooper of uh, Reed Smith were involved in all of the um, editing, but the film, the editing of film is much more intense than rehearsing over and over on the stage. And so um, I've, I've learned some new skills. I'm not the best yeah. at that, but, um, yeah. but it's been that, but you had to do what you needed to do for the uh, COVID environment and we, the show must go on. So Yeah, <laughs> there, I, I was just talking with some of the current students who they're figuring out how to do Well, they figured out how to do their production and they're going to try and record it as a movie almost like they're getting some video equipment and they're going to try and do like a video slash a movie slash tv type thing so it'll be interesting to see how how it comes out in a month or so but a lot of adaptation people are adapting and especially the law students i think of it adapted a lot more like the legal profession has done a great job um of quickly like overnight doing remote stuff but managing organizations and involvement and trying to not fall by the wayside let things fall by the wayside which can be easy to do in law school i think i think so and i think that these are really important outlets uh to be able to have to use some of that creative energy um and bring joy yeah Um, we need joy these days we all need definitely (laughs) yeah i'm so glad you had me here today this has been uh, i've enjoyed visiting with you yes Uh, been wonderful yeah, this has been a really nice conversation. I'm so glad, Christina, you were able to join us. Um, I guess as while we're on this topic, I was going to save this question towards the end, but do you have a favorite, Judge Elrod, and maybe even Christina as well, a favorite like theater or musical production and anyone that may have been in, in Houston, or is it something that you prefer performing in or creating? That one that we've been in? No, one that you've you've seen, like a theater production or a musical production that you you enjoy, and maybe one as a bonus if it's happened here in Houston. Um, I think oh, you have right. a nice art scene. Oh, that's a that's that's too hard. There are too <laughs> many good things. Things are just rushing into my mind. Um, we have a really that's a great thing about Houston. People don't uh, don't always realize that Houston has a tremendous art scene, and you know in in ballet and in opera and in theater and you know and in and in these traveling these traveling groups that come with the musical theater and and then we also have the universities which have the have events as well so we're a this is a great community for the arts yeah. uh, I'm great I'm thankful that we live in Houston um I, I cannot I don't want to name a particular program uh, more than another one, uh, but I, I, I do really have a, a, a love for musical theater. Yeah, I would say, Patrick, this maybe is an easy choice, but Hamilton's definitely up there for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we I, had I it see... like three or four years ago. It was supposed to happen again this year in Houston, but it did right. come, I, th- I want to say three or four years ago, it was here. Hamilton, did. I gave my parents tickets when they came through Houston because they hadn't seen it yet. Um, And then I saw Waitress here in Houston and I'm a big fan of Sarah Bareilles. So I I enjoyed that very much. Um, Also one that just because the people in the show when I saw it have since skyrocketed and I did really enjoy it It was Spring Awakening. Leah Michelle was in that musical Mm -hmm. um, and Jonathan Groff who both later starred in 
Glee and other things. Jonathan Groff was in Hamilton. So um, I, I remember that show in particular. My parents took me to see a lot of musicals growing up and I'm grateful to them for that. Yeah, and we, I took my kids um, and we've gone twice to see Hamilton in New York. And that's, that's always amazing. And, and we, of course, we did our own little versions, parody, huh. different songs yeah. from Hamilton um, in, in our shows, in, the, in our end of court and that sort of thing and other. Oh, and we did our one um, that Jess Gridge and I did that was um, on Zoom, too, that was uh, a parody of a song from Hamilton. So I think Hamilton's <laughs> great theater and it's it's fun yeah. to parody as well. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I would have loved to have seen uh, Sarah Bareilles and Waitress. Uh, I mean, I, I I saw her in concert, but I've not I've not seen that musical yet. So anyway, did it's she? Good. She wrote the music. Did she write yeah. the music for Waitress? Right. She wrote that. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I didn't see her in it. I saw it here saw in Houston, her show, but it was her I, music. Yeah. I thought yeah. she did do it at some, didn't she do she it? Did. I think yeah, she did. Yeah, I mean, she was yeah. part of the original cast. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Very cool. Uh, so a, a fun story for me, I my favorite musical is The Sound of Music. I, I just, it's, it has a, a very special Classic. place in my heart. But when I was growing up, I thought that the movie had just come out for some reason, like just just because I didn't understand like time or something. And so my mom's like, oh, we bought a new film that sounded music. It's like, okay, great. And I watched it, I was like, this is great. And I was like, well, why is it so antiquated? Like the, the cars are old and, you know, I was oh, like, I thought, I thought World War II was like so long ago, but anyway. It's because Julie Andrews is timeless. She is <laughs> <laughs> I also like Mary Poppins if we're doing our, our yes. classic <laughs> filthy pleasures and that sort of thing. Uh, Mary one. Poppins yeah. is kind of a yeah. role model, you know. It's <laughs> true. I didn't see the movie with um, Emily Lynn Blunt Manuel. and Lynn Manuel Miranda. I yeah, I wonder if that either. was any good. I saw it. Um, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. It, it was okay. cool. It was cool. It was cool. It has some positives, and then yeah. there were some that I, I I'm with you, Femi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had some interesting takes on the formula. Let me say that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's it's been a wonderful time. Uh, we've this is probably the most wholesome uh, podcast recording that we've had. So that, <laughs> that's my thing. thank you so much, uh, Judge Elrod. Um, you have a do you have any parting? words for you know people who are wishing to to join the judiciary or or just for law students in general well oh i do have something uh we're talking about law clerks and how it's difficult to get to be a clerk there are also a lot of clerkships out there and um i for, i gave a talk and i was i was lamenting that i didn't at the time get as many uh female applicants as i did male applicants and I thought that given the law school um, breakdown that I should get more. And I had a, 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 a young woman ask me at the time and she said, well, I'm afraid that I will, uh, that I'm not good enough, that my, my grades and my whole package is not as good as someone else's and my school hasn't been very encouraging to me. And I said, well, you should apply anyway because the worst they can say is no and you can apply to 30 or 40 or 50, you know, you own, cause you only need one. Um, and she contacted me later and said she'd taken my words to heart and she had actually gotten a clerkship. 
So um, awesome. I want to encourage you, even if it's a long shot, if it's something that you are passionate about, you know, do what, do your work, you know, make your writing sample the best you can, make it as perfect as possible, but, but take a risk. And so that's my advice for everyone at every letter, do something that's a little bit of a reach. And if, it, if you fail on your face, big deal. When I was in law school, I remember trying to get a job in Boston my first summer, mm. and I got 30 firms that turned me down. You know, so that's just life. Yeah. And so, um, and then I would say, I would encourage us, to, I think it's important that we give each other grace in our, um, and not always be so hyper vigilant to criticize people and cancel them and all of that sort of thing. We should, I think that, that those would be these two life points, I would say. People make mistakes, especially students and when you're just starting out. And we, we yeah. all, and I make a lot of mistakes. We need to, to give each other, try to look, give people the benefit of the doubt and give each other grace uh, as we learn from one another and educate each other about things, so. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, and, uh, and and I hope you'll have a fabulous day. And I hope my lady bears are winning. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day for us, Judge Elrod. Thank you again. Thank you, Sammy yeah. and Patrick. Thanks for letting me crash. For, of, course, <laughs> of course, thank you. Tina, it's been so great to see you. Take care. Good to see you too, Judge. Thank you for listening to another episode of the High Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. To reach us, please email us at highlifespodcast at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about this episode or thoughts on a future one. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.